what to do when. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So good to see you in the house of the Lord on this crisp day. I love this kind of weather because it's cold, but the, it's, you know, still and the sun's shining. And it's just crisp in the air. Love this kind of season. I hope you do too. Thank you for braving the cold and being here. For those of you that are online, thank you for being with us uh, in our online location today across the globe. Uh, it's just amazing how God has opened up the gospel, even though we don't have nearly as many people attending in person uh, in this season as we have historically. And I know the day's coming when we'll fill this house again in multiple services again, but, but the way he's opened the door for the gospel and kind of blown the walls off the church kind of blows me away. I don't know if you get this or not, guys, but we had close to 40,000 people watched our Mother's Day service this year. We have as many as 4,000, 5,000 people watching our services on a regular basis. And, and so we're just excited about what God is doing and the way he's able to get the word of God out. And, uh, and so thank you for being here in person. Thank you for being with us online as well. Can I just, just a personal note, I love the Bible. I, I just love, I love to study it. I love to read it. I can't tell you how many times I've read it through. I mean, every time a new translation comes out, I just got to go read all the way through it. And some of them I get rid of and some of them I keep. And, you know, some of them I say, well, that's just a paraphrase. I'll use that maybe once in a while, but this is the translation. And, and, but I just love that stuff. But I'll be honest with you, I've never been really good at the detail stuff. I don't know about you guys. Uh, the first time I applied for ordination, uh, <clears throat> um, 40, none of your business years ago, I, uh, in those days, you either had to have a, a Bible college degree or you had to pass a Bible proficiency test. It was a four-hour test, and I failed it. <coughs> I was a third-year Bible college student at the time, and, uh, and I failed it. And the reason I failed it is because I didn't know how far Mount Gerizim was from Jerusalem. Uh, and a lot of other that kind of detail stuff. And I just, I don't want to offend anybody here today, but I still don't know how far Mount Gerizim is from Jerusalem. And I frankly don't care how far it is. Some of you do, and God bless you. Uh, what I do know and what I care deeply about is this book is the owner's manual for living. It's the instruction booklet for doing life. And if you want to know how to deal with life and the stuff that life throws at you, this book has the answers. It's right here. And so for these next four weeks, we're going to be talking about some of those kind of pivot point moments in our lives when we know we're at a crossroads, we have to make a decision what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about some of those things that were pointed out in the video just now. Today, we're talking specifically about what do I do when I fail, when I acknowledge that things aren't, uh, you know, I wish things were differently. I, I wish things that maybe you caused it, maybe somebody else caused it. It's irrelevant. There's a moment of failure. Things can't stay the same. I wish it weren't true, but can we just be honest in the room this morning? Uh, everybody fails now and then. Yes. I got a couple of yeses and a head nod. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about me. Don't tell him he's talking about you. Say, he's talking about me. Everybody fails once in a while. Say it with me. Everybody fails. I told you my first ordination test was a, uh, was a failure. Uh, and what I haven't told you is that my second pastorate, I got fired. Uh, I did. I, some of you know the church I was pastoring. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I came into a conflict point with one of the deacons, and the deacons called me in and, and said, 
you're done. It's time for you to go. And, uh, you know, most people, if they, uh, if they looked at my life and history, they would say I've been a fairly successful pastor. I've had the chance to plant, you know, many, many churches over the years. And, and one of the churches I planted had several thousand for Easter last year. And, and you know, and I have the honor of pastoring this church. I mean, yeah, God's blessed my life in ministry in an awful lot of ways. But in 1980, I got into this conflict and it ended up with me losing my job and that deacon ultimately losing his position on the board. Um, and so all I'm trying to say to you is that life is not an unbroken series of successes. Can I get an amen? That's just, that's just not the way life works. We all have setbacks. We all have defeats. We all have losses. We all make mistakes. No matter who you are, we all fail. Can I get one amen from everybody right now? Well, let's talk about it because it can be overwhelming when it happens, even when it it wasn't entirely your fault. Job saw huge failure, losses, defeats in his life, and most of it wasn't even his fault. Maybe none of it was, but he was still overwhelmed by it. Look at Job chapter eleven, verse or chapter seventeen, verse eleven. He said, "My days have passed; my plans are shattered, and so are the desires of my heart." Anybody here ever felt that way? You see what he's saying? My days are past. Everybody's moving on, and I'm stuck here. That's what he's saying. Plans are destroyed. Everything I try fails. You ever felt that way? The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. You know, it's just kind of, that's the way it feels sometimes. My desires are lost. It's like he's saying, start over. Are you kidding me? I, I'm done. There's nothing. I've, I've had teenagers say that to me. Life is over. I'm done. <laughs> Dude, you got 50, 60 years ahead of you. There's plenty of time to recover from this thing that feels like the end of the world. But that's exactly how failure feels. The question is, what are you going to do when you find yourself, whatever the consequence, those circumstances, what are you going to do when you find yourself at one of those failure kind of points? So in the few minutes I've got with you today, uh, I've got two goals. First of all, I really, really want to expose you uh, to the four biblical keys to overcoming failure and moving forward. Um, and help you to understand that. So if you're at one of those points of failure now, that you won't stay there. You won't live there. God didn't and never intended for you to live at a point of failure. So I want to give you the keys to moving forward. But first, let me just take a couple of minutes. I think it'd be worth a few minutes of our time to let me give you some biblical keys for minimizing the odds of failure. Okay? So is that worth a few minutes? We'll take a few minutes up front. How do we minimize the odds of having a failure? And then if you're if and when, because we all fail, you find yourself at a point of failure, what do you do to move forward? Minimizing. Number one is I minimize my chances of failure when I plan ahead. When I plan ahead, if you want to take notes today, you can, of course, just take notes. You can also go to the Bridge NC app and, and find the very notes that I'm using, the outline at least that I'm using. Save it to your journal and, and, and do it digitally right there on your phone. We will not accuse you of texting in church unless we find out you're texting in church. And for those of you that see somebody texting in church, don't get bent out of shape because when you were a teenager, you did it too. It was called a piece of paper and a pencil, and you had to pass it down the road to everybody. Nothing's changed. Okay. Got it? And so you got to plan. I mean, it's cliche, but you know the cliche, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. I like the way the, the Living Bible paraphrases that a sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simple-minded never looks and suffers the consequences. So how many simple-minded people do we have among us? God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. I see that let me ask it another way. How many of you plan ahead? 
Ouch. I discovered a long time ago in ministry that if I was going to accomplish what I believe God put in my heart to accomplish, I was going to have to get better at planning long term. Because I was always one of those shoot from the hips, make it up as it go, spirit inspiration hit me, and here we go. And the result is that, and I'm a people kind of person. And so in those early days, I'd be coming up with all kinds of ideas and doing all kinds of things during the week and doing ministry and visiting people and talking to people and doing all kinds of stuff. And then I'd come on Saturday evening and go, oh, Lord, what am I going to preach tomorrow? And I'm scrambling and panicking on Saturday night for a sermon for Sunday morning. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but it's happened far too many times than I care to admit. Today, we plan messages a year in advance because there are so many people impacted by and planning happens and we, we find out that God can do amazing things when you plan ahead. And in case you're sitting there thinking, well, that's just not very spiritual. I'm, I'm not led by the Spirit. You know the amazing thing is that God knew last summer when the other lead pastors of our four locations got together, having prayed and researched and planned, and we planned this message for this day, God knew who was going to be here seven months later who would need to hear this message today. That, see, that's just as amazing to me that the Holy Spirit can guide that as it is he guided it in the moment. Noah, when, when God told him to start building a, 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 the ark, was it, was it raining? How, how long before it started raining? Anybody know? 120 years. You talk about advanced planning, <laughs> long-range planning. It is spiritual to plan ahead. And let me just put it simply and we'll move on. You ever find yourself putting out so many little fires that you never got around to doing the stuff that's really important? The saying is, if you don't set your priorities, the current pressures will be glad to set them for you. If you want to minimize your risk of failure, plan ahead. Secondly, you minimize failure when you stay humble. This is huge. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pastor Jim paraphrased, you will never get anywhere if you think you're already there. Pastor Farrell a paraphrase. Some of you remember Pastor Farrell well. Pastor Farrell paraphrases the guy who gets too big for his britches eventually gets exposed in the end. That sounds like Farrell, doesn't it? <laughs> when we think we've got it all together, watch out. 1 Corinthians 10 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to be proud of a success. If you work hard and things work out, you ought to be proud of that. I'm just saying don't ever forget where the gifts and opportunities and privileges that made it possible for you to succeed came from. And don't ever think that you've got nothing more to learn. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You get to, I don't need advice. Me and Jesus got a good thing going. Pride leads to destruction, guys. And I'll just, I'll throw a, 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 a small note in here just for, for free. You don't have to put any extra in the offering today for this one. It's one thing to get requested counsel. It's one thing to go to somebody and say, can I bounce some ideas off of you and give me honest feedback? That's one thing. What do you do when you get unsolicited advice? How do you handle it when somebody gives you feedback that you didn't ask for and it's not what you wanted to hear? Inevitably, for many people, typically I should say, I suppose, many people will say, well, who do you think you are to say something like that to me? 
And you know what my answer is? It's irrelevant who they are. The only question is, are they telling you the truth? And if they are, what are you going to do about it? You see, at the end of the day, the true measure of humility is not modesty. It's not putting yourself down. The true measure of humility is who have you decided you're willing to learn from and who gets the glory when you succeed. That's humility. we got to move on. I minimize failure when I plan ahead, when I stay humble. I also minimize it when I follow God, not man. It is important that you get advice of man. It's important that you get a multitude of counselors. Uh, but at the same time, Proverbs 29, 25, fear of a man is a, what does it say? Dangerous trap. But to trust in God means safety. As important as it is, not to be so proud that you can't hear feedback, constructive criticism, and whatever. The bottom line is it is God who calls you, and it is God to whom you will answer for the call. Any of you guys remember the name Mike Warnke? Some of you uh, my age folks remember Mike Warnke. Mike was probably the leading Christian comedian in the country in the 70s, maybe into the 80s. He filled arenas uh, with Christian comedy. He was an amazing uh, comic. I just I met him, spent some time with him, and, uh, and he's one of those guys. He could just decide to make you laugh and turn it on, and you're going to laugh until your stomach hurts and you cry until he turns it off. That's just, that was Mike. Well, Mike had a huge failure and lost his entire ministry. Charisma Magazine did a huge expose on tax problems and his marriage failed and all kinds of things happened to him. Uh, and then we didn't hear from him for a long time. And then suddenly I heard that Mike had come to a church near where I was pastoring at the time. And, and I'd never heard him live, but I'd seen some of his clips and heard some of his clips and, and read, read Satan Sellers, his book. And so I called him. I went online and found a phone number and I called him and just got an answering machine and said, you don't know me and I'll probably never meet you. But I just wanted to say, I am so glad you're back out there. I don't have a clue what's been happening. I'm just glad you're back out there using your gifts for God. Well, the next morning I walked into the office and there was an answer on our answering machine. We had machines back then. And uh, uh, during the night, and it was Mike Warnke uh, just, uh, just blowing it away. I mean, he just, he had us laughing on an answering machine. It was just phenomenal. Well, I, I called him and chatted with him. And here's what he said. One of the saddest words I've ever heard a Christian say, he said, Jim, I was filling arenas and auditoriums. I was at a place in my life where if I wanted something, all I did was put my hand out and say it, and I got it. That's where I was. And one night in my devotional time, God said, Mike, I didn't call you to fill arenas with comedy. I called you to use the gift I gave you to preach the gospel. He said, I went to my manager and said, I got to get back in churches. I got to get back into revival meetings. I got to get back preaching the gospel, not just doing comedy. And his manager said, Mike, you can't. You got, you got contracts, you got staff and salaries and, and ministry expenses. You, you can't. You don't have an option now. You got to keep doing what you're doing. And he said, Jim, here's the words. He said, I listened to my manager instead of my God, and he took it away. And now I'm starting back in churches where I was supposed to be to begin with. Mike's not famous anymore, but he's preaching the gospel in churches across the country. Hear me, there's going to be times where men will tell you things that make sense, that are logical, but it ain't what God said. And you better do what God 
said, because it's God that you will stand in front of. When Kim and I first moved to Virginia to start this new church that he put in our hearts, we had counsel from a lot of people. Most of them said things like, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. One said, you have grabbed a bulldozer by the trailer hitch. I mean, it just, uh, one guy said, well, it's, the land's too expensive. You shouldn't go to Hampton Roads, Virginia. Somebody said, who do you think you are to go there and plant a church? I mean, it was just amazing the kind of counsel, but we knew God had called us and we knew we had to go. We had no choice. And I'm still blown away when I look back on it and see what God did and what he's still doing long after we're gone. Isaiah 55, 9, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Anytime God leads you to do something, prove all things, hold fast that what is good, quench not the spirit. It's going to pull you out of your comfort zone. It's going to require faith. But when you step out, regardless of what others say, if you know you're following what God has called you to do, he will provide. Before we move on, February 7th is Vision Sunday here at the church. And a lot of the conventional wisdom says, you know, we really ought to just stay hunkered down until this COVID thing and the vaccine gets out and, and numbers start coming down. They're still going up, Jim. You can't plan for the future when they're still going up. And you, know, you just got to stay hunkered down. Let's just stay in maintenance mode. And, and I'm going, no, I just know that's not what God, God's called us to make a difference in this world. God's called us to reach people that are desperate for Jesus. We're, he's called us to help the hurting around us. We've got to do something. And so I've been praying for months for a fresh vision of the future for the bridge. And yeah, we've gone through hard times like so many other churches have in, in the last year. And, and, and yeah, there are difficulties ahead. We've got a couple of folks that are out today that are regular, consistent, huge part of our church family because they tested positive for COVID. And, and so they're staying home to quarantine and stay safe. I, we get that. We're, we're, we're thankful for all the things that we've done to keep us safe. But I refuse to say, okay, we're done because the church ain't done. The church ain't done. The kingdom of God's going to move forward. So what we're doing is we're planning for the future while we deal with the present. And on February 7th is Vision Sunday. We're going to cast vision, a bold vision for the bridge for moving forward until Jesus comes. And, and if it's months before we can start some of these things because of COVID, then it's months before we can start. But we're casting vision for where God's going to take us next. And I can't wait for February 7th. I want to start now and I can't because I got a sermon to preach and I got to move on. But I hope you'll plan now to be with us on February 7th for Vision Sunday, either in person or on Line. If you want to minimize the risk of failure, what do you do? You plan ahead, you stay humble, and you follow God, not man. And then finally, you refuse to give up. The trouble with many in trying times is to quit trying. Failure, somebody said, failure is taking the path of least persistence. How many ball games have you seen where your team was losing at halftime, but something happened, they rallied in the second half and blew it away? The halftime is not the end of the game. We continue, we move on, and we watch God do things. Proverbs, I mean, Psalms 35, uh, crying may last for a night. We just sang about it, but joy, what? Comes in the morning. The problem is too many people quit before morning. We're not going to quit before morning. So the real question, let's shift gears here. The real question is, what do you do when failure is upon you, whether you caused it, somebody else was complicit in it, whatever your part in it was, you're at a moment of failure. You know you can't continue doing what you've been doing, going the way you've been going. What are you going to do 
to, to look forward, to move forward, to accomplish things. And the Bible gives us four keys to a fresh start. I'm just going to lay them out for you as quickly and clearly as I know how, and then I'm going to ask you to join me in this commitment as we make a commitment to be a people that uses failure as a launching pad, not a ceiling. It's not the end, it's the beginning to the next season, the next chapter in our lives. Some of you may not be at that point right now. Well, this is for future reference. Save it, put it away somewhere, pull it out when it comes. Because I think we established at the beginning that, what did we say? Everybody fails. So if you don't need it now, you'll need it eventually. Let's lean into it. Number one, I will accept responsibility for my failures. If you want to overcome failure and turn it into a launching pad, then you've got to accept responsibility. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Again, I love the way the Living Bible paraphrases that a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, what does it say? He gets another chance. Say with me. He gets another chance chance. We serve the God of second chances, 90 second chances. If that's what you need, that's who we serve. But hear me, if you can't accept responsibility for your part in the failure, you're doomed from the start. So when you make a mistake, admit it. People with integrity mess up. They just own up. So you say, oh, man, I blew that one. Whew, I, I didn't get that one right, did I? The problem is that's not what comes naturally to us, is it? Is it? What, what do we do when we realize we messed up? We did something we shouldn't have done or, or failed to do something we should have done. What, what's the natural tendency? The natural tendency is to pass the buck. It's to throw somebody else under the bus. It, it's, to, it's to blame somebody else. It's to, it, it's to dodge the issues. Theologians call it the sin nature. And we're all born with it. It came from the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve were in the garden, born holy. God said, don't eat the cran apple. I don't know what exactly, we call it an apple. We don't know what it was. It was fruit. And he said, don't eat that. And they did. When God came down for his next visit, what did Adam and Eve do? Some of you know the story. They, they, they hid, didn't they? And God came out and here's what he said. Why are you hiding? Did you eat the fruit? How many think God didn't know whether they ate the fruit or not when he asked the question? God knew they ate the fruit. He wanted them to own up to the fact that they ate the fruit. That's all. Did, did you, what, did, would you eat the fruit? I mean, is that why you're hiding? And Adam didn't own it, but he did. He said, well, you know, we were, we were scared. Uh, in fact, he passed the buck and said, she made me do it. <laughs> In fact, he blamed God. He said, the woman you gave me made me do it. It was God's fault. It wasn't his fault. And then Eve said, well, it's not my fault. It's that serpent over there that made me do it. But here's, what I, here's all I'm trying to say is that attitude, that nature has passed from generation to generation to all of us. So they were born holy and chose sin. And since then, we've been born in sin. We have to choose to be holy. So how do you overcome the sin nature that that besets all of us is we accept personal responsibility when we have personal failure. That's what we do. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we accept, we blew it, and then we accept the grace that Jesus Christ has given us in order to be able to overcome it. I know that's not easy because we live in a culture uh, that everybody blames everybody for something. Everything is somebody else's fault. It's the economy or it's the weather or it's bad karma or, you know, something. 
But God says, if you want a fresh start, you got to stop blaming. In fact, I, I, I heard one guy said, to, to blame is to be lame. To blame is to be lame. Say it with me. To blame is to be lame. So the next time you get caught up in one of these things and everything in you says blame somebody else, remember that you are being lame. Thank you. Let's move on. The second thing then is you will stop. I will stop regretting and start repenting. I will stop regretting and start repenting. It's normal when you have a failure to reel for a while. It's normal to go, oh man, and feel like the wind's been knocked out of you. Um, but there comes a time when you have to stop reeling and start repenting. So let's be clear what I mean by repent. The word that you see in Scripture called repent comes from the original language, the word metanoia. And metanoia, uh, meta means change, and noia means your mind. And so repentance is a matter of changing your way of thinking. It's about changing your mind. Repentance is not just, oh, man, I blew it. I'm sorry. You know, we live in an age where a lot of people say, well, as long as I said I'm sorry. Yeah, but did anything change? See, repentance is not just I'm sorry. Repentance is I changed. And so regret, remorse is, man, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, man, I'm, so, I'm sorry I did that. But we're still doing the same stuff. Repentance, when we say, boy, that was, I blew that one. I'm wrong. I'm going to do it differently. I'm going in this direction instead. You see, that's repentance is when there's a shift that takes place. The Apostle Paul talks about it in terms of, of godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. When he wrote to the church at Corinth in his first letter to them, I don't know if you've read it or read it lately, but it's, it's pretty hard stuff. I mean, he's going after him. He's saying, guys, you've got all kinds of sin. You, you just got sexual sin in your church. You've got abuse of spiritual gifts in your church. You've got all kinds of mess going on in your church, and you've got to do something about it. He then writes the second letter to them later on saying, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that hurt you. I'm not sorry I wrote it because you needed to hear it, but I'm kind of sorry it hurt your feelings. And so he describes to them, what do you do when you realize you've failed? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Let's read it together out loud. Here we go. One, two, three. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Break it down. Godly sorrow brings what? Repentance. And what is Repentance. It's to change. It's to, it's to redirect. It's to change your direction. And that leads to what? Salvation. That Greek word is soteréo. That means to be rescued. So you are rescued from the failure that you did because you repented. You said, I was wrong, and I'm going to change direction now. That's what godly sorrow does. Worldly sorrow, on the other hand, brings what? Death. And that Greek word is, is thanatos, that means the misery that always accompanies sin. So you can regret, you can be remorseful, you can have worldly sorrow about something knowing you messed up, but if you don't change, all you're going to do is continue to walk in the misery of the experience. It's only when change comes that it becomes repentance. God motivates you to change by God's grace, I'm going to do differently. I'm going to be a different person as a result of this. God says, if you're going to fail, at least don't waste it. Learn from it. The world says life's going to grind to a stop. It's demoralizing. It's poor me. 
It's victim mentality. It's nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. Don't look at them, but we all know people like that. All right? Okay, Jim, I've repented and, and I've changed, but, but I'm damaged goods now. So I know God can't use me because I'm damaged goods. Well, that's the enemy talking to you. Psalm 139, I didn't put it on the screens, but let me read it to you. Psalm 39, 139 does not have a plan B in it. You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? Does every day and every moment include the failures of your life? Sure. So did God factor that in? Yes. In fact, my experience is that most successes in life are built on the failures that you learn something from. Hello? In fact, I dare say there's some things we probably can't learn until we mess up a few times. How many, how many of you parents have had toddlers? Anybody had any toddlers? How many times did you say that fire is hot, don't touch it, before they finally touched it and then finally stopped touching it? That's just, it's, it's just over and over. That's just the reality of it is so red and inviting, they have to. Our friend Frida told us one time uh, that she learned never to taste the snow on a pump handle. <laughs> Think about that one for a minute because her brothers talked her into tasting it. She was stuck. The psalmist says sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Can I get an amen? So you stop regretting because that doesn't change anything. It just beats you down and demoralizes you. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. That's for perspective. It's not for direction. You start looking through the windshield. Number three, forget the former focus on the future. Forget the former focus on the future. Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what is behind. Paul wrote, I'm straining toward what is ahead. I pressed on toward the call to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not going to let anything that happened in the past define my future. I'm not going to let my choices or my problems defeat me. I'm going to focus forward on the prize. I've got my eye on the prize. I'm going to see Jesus one day, and I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and that's the only thing that matters. I don't care what happened. I'll try to learn from it, and then I'm going to put it behind me. Don't let that junk keep you from focusing on the future that God has for you. Can I get an amen in the room? So I got to ask, I mean, you can sit real still, but I got to ask before we move on, what past situation are you allowing to continue to define your present? Because if your past is defining your present, it's not your past, it's your present, and it's defining your future. If every time that memory comes up, you go, oh, man, I wish I had. Man, if I'd only done that differently. Man, if I only, if I could, I should, I would. Then you're still living in the past. You're allowing the past to control your future. And Paul said, that's a huge mistake. The good news of the book of Romans is that the past is past. You can't change it. 
let it go. Best example in scripture I know of that is Peter and Judas. For those of you that perhaps don't know, Peter and Judas were both disciples of Jesus Christ and both of them betrayed Jesus in the last days leading up to the cross. What was different about them, both of them were devastated by their failure. What was different about them is the way they responded to their failure. One repented, wept bitterly and changed. The other had remorse, worldly sorrow and lamented, but didn't change. One went on to great things. The other one committed suicide. Have you ever seen Jesus' response to the one who repented later? Have you ever thought about how Jesus responded to Peter after the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, he says to the, to the ladies, go tell the disciples and Peter. He wanted Peter to know, dude, I know what you did. Didn't change how much I love you. Didn't change my plan for your life. Didn't change what I've got in mind for you. I know all about it. He wanted to make sure that Peter knew because Peter had repented. I think that's why he singled him out. Judas, on the other hand, regretted what he did, but he didn't repent. And the result was that he died by his own hand, was buried in a pauper's burial ground. Peter repented, focused on the future, and he's the guy that walked out and preached the sermon the day the church was born and 3,000 people accepted Christ that day. And he became the leader of the Jerusalem church. What am I saying? I'm saying regardless of your failures in life, you are not washed up unless you choose to quit. It's not over unless you refuse to accept God's grace that he offers freely. But if you choose to repent, confess, repent, choose life, then you have a future. If you just live in remorse, then that leads to death and misery. If you want a fresh start, I got to wrap then you gotta accept responsibility for what you've done, you gotta own it. Well, well, they did and they did and they did. Of course they did, but you got no control over what they did or didn't do. You only have control over yourself. What, own your part. Come on, own your part. Stop regretting and start repenting. It's not just remorse, it's not just worldly sorrow, it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation. Then forget the former, focus on the future. And then number four, I trust God will work this into the pattern for good. The Psalm 139, all the days of my life are written. I trust that God already knew this was gonna happen and he's gonna work it into the pattern for good because I've kept my focus on him. And, and here we go. We talk about this verse a lot. It's one of my favorites. For many of you, it's one of your favorites. I don't think we've ever read the way the Phillips paraphrases it. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in the Phillips paraphrase, I love this one. Come on, here we go. Can we read it out loud? It's on the screen. So one, two, three, go. We know that to those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. I love that last phrase. Everything fits into a pattern for, for good. Um, personal moment, I love chocolate chip cookies. I love I love it when they're soft and fall apart in your hands. I love it when they're crisp and you dunk them in milk and that softens them and they melt in your mouth. I love chocolate chip cookies. I just adore, you can tell, I love them more than I should, chocolate chip cookies. But have you ever read the ingredient list 
for chocolate chip cookies? There's flour. I mean, if you take these ingredients alone, there's flour. Anybody want to taste a little bit of flour right now? There's bacon soda. Anyone taste some bacon soda? There's salt. Well, because salt added is okay, but I just want a spoon of salt. Who wants that? Then there's sugar. Okay, now we're talking. There's chocolate chips. Okay, we're good, right? But what makes a chocolate chip cookie? All of those ingredients brought together. And so that's what God has in mind for us is, yes, we're going to have highs and lows. Yes, we're going to have successes and failures. Yes, we're going to get it right and we're going to get it wrong because we're human at the end of the day and we live in a sin-cursed world. And those are the realities. That's what grace is about. But at the end of the day, he's going to work it all into a pattern for good if we just love him back. Go to the... Hebrews chapter 11, the, what I call the faith hall of fame. Those, it's full of failures. People that did all kinds of, I mean, liars and murderers and adulterers and street walkers. And I mean, it's full of people who failed, but they took the steps that I'm describing for you today. And I hope you'll pull these notes and you'll study in them for yourself and make some intentional decision because here we are still talking about these people 3,000 years later simply because they did not let failure be the end of the day. They let it be the beginning of the story. If you want to overcome defeats, if you want to overcome failures, you've got to accept responsibility, you've got to repent, you've got to focus forward, and then you've got to trust that God has an amazing, miraculous way of working it all into a pattern for good in our lives. In fact, what I've experienced is he will take your deepest failures and turn them into your greatest dreams. I mentioned that I was fired from my second pastorate. What led to the conflict was that we had, I don't want to give too much information because there may be some people impacted by it, but um, we had a large Hispanic community in our neighborhood and I got a real deep desire to reach them. So I made arrangements with a local warehouse to start having an early Sunday morning service there. I got a Spanish translator, I got some musicians, I got some, some uh, instrumentation, and I started gearing up to, I'm still in my 20s at this point, I'm gearing up to do uh, Hispanic ministry and outreach to Hispanics in this warehouse on Sunday mornings. And we're starting to prepare flyers that we're going to put out into the various places uh, where I failed. And it's, it's a failure on my part to learn a big lesson from this is I didn't bring the leadership of the church along on the journey. I didn't get them to see the vision and catch the vision and get excited about the vision too. I just went and did it and then later told them what I was going to do. And they said, no. We pay you to minister to us. You can't go do that. So, well, it's at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It'll be over early. I'll be here, you know, plenty of time. Uh, yeah, you'll be too tired to minister to us. No, no, I'm young. I'm young. I can, I can still do it now for that matter. But, you know, that time, I'm young. I can know. You'll never even know the difference. No, you can't. Uh, invite them here, they said. Okay. So I started inviting them to church. Anybody want to guess? This is back in the 70s. Anybody want to guess how they were treated when I invited them into that white suburban church? So the conflict ensued. I lost my job and that deacon lost his position. But you know what grew out of that? 
was a passion to start churches that reached people from every walk of life and background, every, irrespective of their race or their education level or their wealth or that stuff isn't, it doesn't eternally matter. And God's given me the privilege to plant a bunch of those kind of churches on three continents and, and the privilege to be here in a church that understands that at the end of the day, hurting people look differently and act differently and come from different cultural backgrounds. But at the end of the day, we all have one thing in common. We woke up this morning desperately in need of Jesus. That's the common denominator for all of us. That came out of the deepest hurt of my ministry life. That quite honestly, this is the first time I've ever talked about publicly and it was 40 plus years ago. God turned it into ministry. Hear me, no matter what your failure is or was, if you will submit it to God, he will turn it around for good if you let him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible on this subject is from the book of Jonah, chapter three, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He blew it the first time. God came back and gave him another chance. You want a fresh start? No matter what failures you've had, let me let you in on a little secret. God specializes in resurrections fresh starts. It's never too late to start again. It's actually called being born again. I like the way Paul wrote it again to that church at Corinth when he was helping them to reel and deal with their failures in chapter 5 verse 17. Again, I like the way the Phillips paraphrases it. Our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives or appearance for if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. God specializes in turning deaths into new lives, crucifixions into resurrections. So you can stop nailing yourself to the cross because Jesus already did. He paid for it. All you have to do is appropriate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the kind of God you are. It's not okay to fail. It's not okay to sin. We're not saying that we can live any way we want to because there's always a huge price tag for those things. And yeah, we're hurt. People around us are hurt. There are all kinds of pains that come out of sin, thanatos, death, the misery that always accompanies sin is a reality. But you are this amazing God who works it all into a pattern for good when we just say, God, I blew it. Oh man, I messed up. I shoulda, coulda, woulda, I didn't. I'm sorry. But not just in a remorseful kind of way, but in Lord Help me to learn from this experience, repattern my thinking, and change. Show me what you want me to do differently. My answer to you, Lord, is yes. Give me a fresh start. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. For those of you that are here or maybe watching online, 
you recognize that today's the day for a fresh start. New year, new day, new challenges, new opportunities, all the things that are associated with new years. Let's start it off by saying, Lord, whatever failures I have, help me to accept responsibility. Come on, pray it with me. Let's make this a prayer. Pray silently, pray aloud, I don't care. Lord, help me to accept responsibility for my failures. Help me to stop regretting them and repent. Help me to focus forward, not back. And then help me to trust you to work it into a pattern for good to your purpose for my life. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their lives. And I just pray blessing, favor, grace over all of us as we make these decisions to move forward in 2021 and beyond in grace. In Jesus' name, amen.